From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parman, Neil McCready, coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio. Today, our guest is Chris Solomon. He is uh, kind of the head guy at No Laying Up. What started as a, uh, a golf Twitter account turned into a golf podcast has now turned into a YouTube series and much more. Really a brand that uh, a lot of golf fans are aware of. We talked to Chris for about 45 minutes today. Really about podcasts, about their growth, about uh, things that uh, were timing just kind of worked out. He's a guy that um, <clears throat> he worked in Chicago for a long time. He got an offer to go work in Amsterdam and move to Europe for a little while. He uh, used that time to travel and then at some point realized that he didn't want to do the uh, the financial sector business that he was in. He wanted to uh, try to turn No Laying Up into a full-time gig. Ends up moving to Florida. Talks about the risk involved with that, where they were, where they are now, and uh, and much more. So as, as I said yesterday, it's a it's a golf podcast, but it's it's not really a golf podcast. It's about life. It's about uh it's about the actual podcast business and uh, just kind of business in, in general and taking risk. And there's a little golf at the end, but some of that's even newsworthy. Is we talk about the PGA Tour trying to restart. In mid-June, he gives his opinions on whether he thinks that happens, and then he says whether he thinks that has any impact on other sports as well, or if it uh, if it does not. So that's coming up here in a little bit with uh, with Chris Solomon of No Laying Up, the podcast every single day brought to you by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Speed Pass Plus app, use that to pay for your fuel at all Blue Sky locations in Mississippi because it's the safest way to do it. You don't have to touch much of anything. It will take care of you. Again, the Speed Pass Plus app, or go next door to the Oxford Crystal, Use your drive-thru. We knew that. Uh, it's still open, ready for business there to, to feed you after you take care of the fuel. And again, coming to you from the Clark Ford studio. We are Clark Fords in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes and business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. And uh, the rest is completely up to you. Um that's simple. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you when you make the call. 662-257-1900. Um, yeah, that's it. And then uh, we're coming to you from the uh, guests. Join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. And um, they're going to have big news, I think, here pretty soon about Rafters on the Water. Perhaps Rafters itself um, coming up here pretty soon as we get closer to uh, reopening certain segments of Oxford and the surrounding area. So we'll bring you those details when we can. Remember, when we get back to normal, Rafters is a great place to go get together with your friends. Hopefully uh, watch some games on TV as it looks more and more likely that there will actually be games on TV this summer. Uh, might not be fans in the stands, but there can be fans in Rafters, and you can watch there. They'll have, I'm sure, drink specials and all sorts of things, lots of screens, Lots of fun there at Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. So yesterday we uh, we talked to Keith Carter, had him on the podcast. There's also a, a content item in written form from Neil on the site at rebelgrove.com. But he and I, we, or you and I, we have not discussed it since that point. What's the main takeaways? I mean, obviously, 
He said that he has the hopes for July 1 as far as getting players back on campus. He thinks that is doable even if, uh, well, obviously not even if, they are not doing on-campus classes this summer. Ole Miss is online only all summer, but he thinks there's a possibility to do some semblance of a quarantine to get them there, get some strength training started with at least the hope of having a somewhat normal fall as far as football goes. If it's delayed or not, we have no idea. Um, we expect – Ole Miss, to, from a campus standpoint, to be moving toward having a normal fall with students. Probably some changes, but as far as having them on campus, no announcement there. It's too early for that, but at least they're trying to plan in that way in, in, in some regard. So other than that, really just optimism, the fact that nothing negative has happened, what what, what stuck out from uh, from that from that talk? Um, What stuck out from that talk? Um, generally that. I've seen some people push back already about, hey, well, you know, I hope to this that doesn't mean it's going to happen he didn't say it was going to happen he said that he's operating under that premise that they are looking at other they're evaluating for other options as well he mentioned an october start he mentioned a november start he mentioned a spring season but i think there's a growing sense of optimism that um you know um a growing sense of optimism that that there's going to be a season. Then we talked about fans and whether there would be fans in attendance. And uh, he did not seem quite as hopeful there about certainly early in the season about there being fans. Talked about a phased approach to bringing fans in, which, uh, listen, I've been saying this on multiple podcasts as we tape this on the afternoon of Wednesday the 28th at 2.27 in the afternoon. It looks a lot different today than it did on, say, March the 15th. Right? That fair? Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. Well, five weeks from now, when we get into June, June might look a lot different than what it looks like right now. I know there's people out there, including people that I have a lot of respect for. When I say that, I just mean in general. Scientists, doctors, epidemiologists, people who know what they're talking about, who say, hey, man, there's going to be, as soon as we open things back up, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not here to tell them that they're wrong. But I will say this. All of the models have been wrong, consistently overestimating the damage. And if you take New York out of this, and I know that's a big if, and if you take nursing homes and long-term health care facilities out of this, and I realize that's an if as well. But if you do, this isn't, this isn't what people said it was going to be. This, thank God. And again, I don't question the people who, I'm not here to bash Fauci or Trump or, or anyone who initially said, hey, listen, these, this, this thing is ravaging Italy and this thing, is, uh, this thing is potentially deadly. This thing is potentially bad. We must act. I agree. I think most sensible people, there are the hardcore people who are like, oh, we overreacted to hell with everything. Now, you had to overreact initially. But that doesn't mean that we have to continually overreact for six more months, eight more months, ten more months. There was just some numbers that came out a minute ago that the flu season is over and flu season deaths were down, which might mean that some stuff got misdiagnosed or not. I don't know. I'm not here to question. I get it. I've said that consistently and I continuously said it. But we got to kind of start reopening, and then if things go haywire, well, then you you, you re- react at that point. But you don't at this point. I think in, I think to anticipate 
this second wave or second surge and therefore act based on that would be foolish. And so the plans that I heard from Carter and the plans that we're going to talk about in a minute, Ken Rosenthal talking about Major League Baseball, I just saw Jenna Fryer had a story out with the Associated Press that the uh, Coca-Cola 600 is going to happen apparently next month in um, May 24th, I think is the date, something without like that. Without fans, which yeah. is great. Go go NASCAR. Um, you know, we're, we're going to talk some golf in a minute about the PGA Tour, and there are some problems there. And you and I had an, an off-the-not-recorded conversation where I had some things to say about that. And uh, Baseball is very optimistic today. Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Korean League that we've been talking about starts next week, I think May the 5th. Uh, they're getting started so far. Everything looks good with them. Um, I think there's reasons for optimism, and uh, that's that's what I took out of it. I took out of it generally. You got I, I thought July the 1st, getting kids to campus might be a little bit ambitious, um, but, you know, if they can get them there by the end of July and – you get seven or eight weeks. The people like me and others who've been saying a three to four week delayed season are going to look pretty smart. Yeah, because I, I I made sure to not get caught up in in real particular logistics when when Keith was talking because he'd say certain things and in my mind I'm going well hey here's the problem with that and then I just kind of stopped myself and said we'll figure it out just okay just get it back in some semblance and we'll we'll see where it goes from there because like he mentions hey maybe there's a social distancing thing in the stadium where instead of 64,000 it's 32,000 immediately my head goes well how do you pick the 32,000 and then if you do that and not everybody shows up and then you got 27,000 actually in the stadium and then you got another 20,000 pissed off because they weren't in the ones picked and I just stopped myself and went not we'll, we'll deal with it later I, I I don't know who cares figure it out you know so that's the thing too is hey you're 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 planning for the worst too he said that you're doing everything but nothing has been told no yet on some of the best case scenarios so move toward those because if that is true and you get to do those you got to be ready for them you got to have a plan in place and prepared for those scenarios as well so i think that's a key is this thing this thing kind of moves forward but we'll uh we'll see i mean you mentioned uh ken rosenthal's story it is on the athletic right now. Uh, I'm looking at a couple of different things he is he has written here, but essentially, there's at least some semblance of optimism that it would not be one place; it would be a lot of places, and that they would find a way to play, give or take half the season prior to the end of the year. Yeah, no, I, I, well, he used he used the day after uh, Jeff Passan, who's another incredibly great baseball writer who knows everybody. Yeah. Jeff Passan led a story yesterday, Chase. You, you're in journalism. You you have a journalism background. In these days, when you write something definitively, and I'm not talking about some cat working on some blog someplace, a national writer who's got to live with those words, he wrote, there will be a Major League Baseball season. Not that things are looking optimistic or anything. Will be. Mm-hmm. And a day later, Rosenthal comes back and says, not only will there be one, but he kind of goes through it. And so here's the basics of his story. They hated the idea, they being the players, of being uh, confined to Arizona, all 30 teams in some sort of a biosphere. They said, hey, we're not doing this without our families. And before anybody goes, oh, that's selfish. No, it's not. It's not selfish to ask young people with young families to leave their families for five months with no contact. That's that's when you sign up to be a major league baseball player, that's not what you sign up for. And so then they talked about, Hey, well, what about bringing the families with you? 
okay, well, now you're really crowding the biosphere. And the owners and players and the owners and management are like, I don't know if that's a great idea either. And so that's a non-starter. So then they started talking about this three-hub league, Arizona, Florida, Dallas, indoor stadiums, et cetera. Yeah. The players were like, yeah, it makes a little more sense. Probably could do that. And then they started talking about a five- or six-hub season. And now they're talking about maybe a 20-hub season. And now they're even talking about, you know what? Maybe we start with some hubs, and then as we get acclimated and we get moving, we move to our stadiums, we move to our stadiums and play without fans at first as early as July. And then, this is the encouraging thing to me. When I read this, I mean, quite frankly, things moved. Maybe even as early as August and September, fans. You can play the season into October. All the players have already signed off on a late October, November, even into early December postseason. Right. And I know what people say, well, you can't play postseason games in Detroit in December. Nope. But you can move them. You can move them to Arizona. You can move them to Los Angeles. People go, well, that's not fair. So let me go ahead and get this out of the way about all seasons for the next calendar year. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm being honest. If what you are expecting out of your college football season, out of your NFL season, as of today, April the 28th, if what you are expecting is for it to look like it has always looked this next season, I think you're going to be really disappointed, and that's on you. And I don't mean that to be mean. I, I just don't – when people say like, – someone came kind of push back on, on Twitter, and I understand where they're coming from, but they're wrong. Well, you know, the Grove's going to be jam-packed and the stadium's going to be standing room only, and if it's anything less than that, then it's bullshit. No, it's not. If medical people like Dr. Alan Jones, who's really smart, who's the chief of emergency medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, if he says you just can't do that right away, well, then you know what, Chase? You just can't do that right away. There's a reason that no one's doing that right now. There's a reason that all these NBA franchises are losing. This should be, we should be into the second round of the NBA playoffs right now. Whether you like the NBA or not, NBA second round playoff teams are making coin, baby. Of course. You got a second round series, those Lakers versus the Thunder or something like that. What do you think a game in Oklahoma City would be like tonight? Raging, of course. Yeah, yeah. Jam packed. Everybody mm-hmm. wearing their color coded shirt and yeah, yeah. Buying lots of beer and hot dogs and popcorn and t shirts and jerseys and caps and renewing season tickets and all of that stuff. It'd be profitable. It's a reason that none of the owners are like, "Hey, what are we doing?" Because they get it. We can't do this right now. But I do think by the fall, if you if you base off what Rosenthal is saying, and Major League Baseball, I assure you, is consulting medical people they're more and more confident that they're going to get a season in 80 to 100 games they're going to be able to get a postseason in and for the very first time the very first time since this thing started i'm reading major league baseball writers who are connected to the league say that the idea of playing games with fans is realistic and that's where as you mentioned hey we have we we, we do look better than we did two months ago where you know march 5th or whenever we're going oh my god look at this who knows we could be whatever and there's still some of that but no we've made major moves and it's both at the same time it's we got time but then i told you this morning at the same time we're only like 30 days from june i mean we do have to kind of get going yeah. but we're, sure. we're, we're okay i mean we are making progress if everything's a chart right now and this chart is progressing in a positive direction as the thing moves forward i mean the baseball thing is 
I mean, there's no probably to it. It is the most encouraging news we've heard of anything to this point. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah, period. Yeah, for sure. Because we talk about fans. We talk about stadiums. We talk about yeah. normalcy to some sort of yeah. extent. Because, you know, a biodome in Arizona is not normalcy to any extent. That, no. that, that's that's pressing and trying to make something into a, into, into, into something it's not. So, no, that, that's the best news that we've, that we've heard by far. I, I'm good with that. I understand it. Um I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for Jenna's story because I I did I didn't get a chance to read it because we've been doing this router thing. Um, and no. you hope that May 28th that everything's taking another step and we do it again and then we're we're we're, we're you know we're close there but we're having the discussion. Hey, within the next month, players will be on campus. Students are going to start in the fall, whatever that looks like, on a college campus. I mean, that's what I said. We kind of yeah. opened up. That was a rumor going around yesterday that started on our message board that was inaccurate. Somebody goes, hey, Ole Miss is about to put out a statement saying that they're going to go online only for the fall. Ole Miss is nowhere close to announcing that it's going online only for the fall. They are trying everything to make it work. They're probably doing something in conjunction with Mississippi State to make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page. They want the same things. You're all on the same team here when it comes to when it comes to this thing. Look, yes, it will be an IHL decision, but it's not an IHL decision. and they'll, they'll make this work. So – if that's what needs to happen, again, we will we'll see. But I do believe that students will go back in August and it will look like something. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know how the classes are going to be structured. I don't know how big the classes are. But at this moment, as of April 28th at 2.39 in the afternoon, I think they will start classes in the fall. I'd be willing to bet a lot of money they start classes in the fall. Yeah. Um, I feel pretty good about that. The alternative to not having classes in the fall is – not bankruptcy, but getting close to it. Keith mm-hmm. talked about this. One of the things we didn't even talk about. He talked about it a lot. Um, they're good through June 30. And then if there's no football. They're not good. They're not good. Yeah. You have to start furloughing employees. You have to start cutting percentages off of your highest paid employees, which means Lane Kiffin and Kermit Davis and those kind of people. Mike Bianco. Yeah. Um, you've got to start. Um, scraping pennies in, in in an effort to not have to have the decision of hey do we cut a sport well that's inevitable that's what I'm saying in that scenario yeah that's what I'm saying I mean I'll, I'll say it I mean I like these people but if there's no football in your program for the 2021 season you're you're cutting men's tennis you're cutting men's golf you're maybe not permanently but you're shutting it down for a year you're not paying those salaries and scholarships and stuff for a year you're just not and then you're getting into women's sports and you're cutting stuff that you're you're following Title IX, but boy, to the to the number. And quite frankly, if you don't have men's sports, if you don't have football and at that point, men's basketball would be in danger. You know, it's funny, we haven't even mentioned basketball and how it's kind of hanging here a little bit. I mean, it's, the season is going to be played, yeah, but play. I don't know yeah. when, how, what, where, where. Yeah, and they've got more time. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I can tell you this because I've talked to them, and I, I think they feel confident with me saying this on the record. Kermit Davis and Ronnie Hamilton and Levi Watkins and those guys, you've never been bigger football fans in your life. The Oxford Exxon Podcast is brought to you in part by Dead Soxy. If you're already a Dead Soxy customer, first, thank you. Secondly, here's all you have to do to uh, introduce more people to Dead Soxy and get free Dead Soxy stuff of your own. Uh, take your personal referral code from Dead Soxy, send it to your friends and family via email, text, or social. And uh, for every new customer you produce, uh, you'll both get $10. They get $10 in free socks. You get $10 in free socks. You can keep 
uh, earning freebie socks for life because there's no limit on how much you can earn. Just share your link and collect the rewards. People helping people as we all should, especially right now at Dead Soxy. It's deadsoxy.com. We're also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It is located at 320 East Pearl Street. It's uh, the perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. It also uh, specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. So if you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, a rehearsal dinner, or a wedding reception, you want to be able to enjoy the moment, and the Iron Horse Grill is your answer. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250- to 500-person wedding or even a 3,500-person gala. It's one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi. It can service the entire states. Call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs. Knock that off your worry list and let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. All you do when you go in and see Gene and Sandy is tell them you heard about Grenada Nissan on our podcast or at RebelGrove.com, and you'll get Rebel Savings on top of the already great deals at Grenada Nissan. Uh, we're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. Nest and Wild is a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or 10-inch mattress with less support and durability, but not Nest and Wild. From the twin to the California king, every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, 100% American-made, and the pricing is competitive when compared to the rest of the mattress companies. And in fact, we'll make it even better because we're going to give you a promo code that I'll tell you about in a bit. It's a no-risk decision. Nest and Wild believes in their product so much, they're offering a 99-night trial on every mattress. So try it out. Sleep on it for 99 nights. And if you don't like it, you can return it. Nestandwild.com. Order your mattress. Use the podcast code REBEL20. That's REBEL20. And get 20% off your purchase and uh, your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Yeah. In much the same way that I've been telling people, hey, you need to be cheering for the Korean Baseball League. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah, it wasn't a joke when it went, hey, buy a cap and, and, and pull no, the most I meant it. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull, cheer for the Bears, the Dragons, or the Unicorns, or whoever. Find somebody and then cheer for the other teams too. Yeah. And, and you know, you – this is that funny thing now. I mean, you're a you're a sports fan. You know, as a Cubs fan, I'm sort of wired to. Hey, half the Cardinal team got the flu. Oh, that sucks. Now it's like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Uh, you need everybody to kind of stay healthy. Uh, Jenna Fryer, who was on this podcast about a week ago, she writes uh, for the Associated Press, covers motorsports. She says the governor of North Carolina said Tuesday that NASCAR can go forward with the Coca Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway without fans in attendance at the end of May, unless health conditions deteriorate in the state. Governor Roy Cooper said he and state public health officials have had discussions with NASCAR and the Speedway located in Concord regarding safety protocols for staging the race. Cooper said the state offered input on NASCAR's plan, but he believes the race can go forward on Memorial Day weekend for the 60th consecutive year. NASCAR on Monday gave teams its latest revised schedule, which shows resumed racing May 17th at Darlington in South Carolina, followed by a second race at that track on May the 20th. Mm-hmm. The 600 would be held on May 24th, followed by a second race at Charlotte on May the 27th. 
as Jenna was saying on the podcast the other day, most of the teams are based in the Charlotte area and are expected to return to work this week as essential businesses. A North Carolina stay-at-home order last week was extended through May the 8th, so a week from Friday. But to your point, and I guess I want to give credit where this is due, Adrian Wojnarowski was on Scott Van Pelt Mm -hmm. last night, and he made a great point. Remember how we used to joke about May and March was the longest month ever? April wasn't the longest month ever. We got used to this. Yeah, there was a routine that set in. Whether we want to admit it or not, Mm -hmm. we got used to this. And so it's April the 28th now. And so Friday is May the 1st. It's going to be June 1st before you before you know it. And if we don't have things going by June, it's panic time. And for like Keith was saying, I don't remember the exact word. I wrote the story so you think I'd remember it. So that you all know behind the scenes stuff. We taped the interview. Chase had to edit the interview because our connection was not great. And while he edited, I transcribed and wrote. And Keith, let me see if I can find it because I want to get this right. I want to get the quote right. Um, he he was talking about planning for uh, about planning for this, what it, what all it would entail, and I thought his use of words were kind of interesting. Um, he talked about uh, which quote? He was talking about having finding a uniform way to to bring everybody back. He said, uh, "We all have a common goal. We're optimistic." Trying to find it. It's going to be an interesting situation because in the SEC, there are 11 states that are representative. represented. We're trying to find a uniform way for all these states and institutions to come back and bring the student athletes back and get them ready for the fall. With each state having a different timeline, finding a uniform way to do that may be difficult, but certainly it's on the same page trying to get that done. Is that not what we're looking for? Yeah, I don't remember. He, he basically was just saying that it's this is going to be a, a, a complicated thing. This isn't going to be easy. There's going to be health issues. There's going. To, I might not have even used the quote. He, he, I remember typing it. It's going to be complicated. It's not going to be typical. It's not going to be, like, hey, open things up. Everybody comes in. We give them a physical boom. We go. Because they've been there. You know, the, there's nothing funnier than the start of, quote, fall camp. Yeah, of course. You know, we always giggle about fall camp. They know fall camp. They've been fall camping since June on a typical year. Yeah. Well, this year you're bringing people in, and not only are you saying, hey, you haven't been lifting weights the way you would have been here. It's no fault of your own. You probably haven't been running at your home the way you would have been running here and um, you might have been exposed to the virus and so we've got to go through all of these things with each and every one of you I mean like for example we know Eli Johnson's been exposed to the virus mm-hmm. um, he won't be the only one you bring guys in you've got to do you test everyone do you have to have a baseline of that there's a, there's a lot a lot of things that happen he talked about whether there would be a 5 or a 10 or a 14 day quarantine quarantine he wasn't sure with that uh there'll be some uniformity um he said we certainly would be very diligent in making sure we're doing the right things bringing these groups back yeah it's careful but com- pragmatic and you yeah. move forward that's that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of where it is so. but the point is is it's going to take some time yeah there's let's say and i've heard you know alan jones said this i talked to another college coach who said this is the same number he heard let's say there's a 14 day quarantine if the medical people go, hey, look, that's, that's, this is what it's going to be. Or the NCAA comes down. And to the NCAA's credit, so far in this, they've been great. But the NCAA tells all schools, look, before you can have an on-the-field physical practice, 14 days, you have to quarantine your players 14 days. The end. Okay, well, now you got to add that to the six weeks right. that 
And that, by the way, that appears to be the number also that, that is being used. The NCAA is going to tell all teams, as of this moment, I think, if everything goes well, you've got six weeks. So in that scenario, you'd have a two-week quarantine and six weeks of practice before the first practice. So that's roughly two months. So to Keith's point, if you're going to play on Labor Day weekend, you've got to have players there by July 1. And he said, look, if you get past July 1 into July 15 and later, then my scenario, my prediction, which I hope is wrong, by the way, I hope that the first one's right, but you're getting into week three, week four of the schedule. Right. So we'll uh, continue talking about that. We'll have a show on uh, on Thursday night as well. We'll probably take your calls, probably talk about some of this from the interview and, uh, and more. But uh, let's go to Chris Solomon now on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. Here is uh, Chris from No Laying Up. Chris, thanks for joining the uh, the show today. I guess we'll start off here a little bit. I, I'm just curious because I've, you and I chatted for just a second, and I cover Ole Miss football, baseball, do a lot of college sports where, you know, it makes me when I get home, I don't know that I want to watch sports as much. I don't know that I'm, I'm watching as much baseball or football or whatever, and, and golf is sort of that release for me. Since it became a job, how has your relationship with golf sort of changed, if it has at all, or has it not? Is, is it still somewhat of a hobby for you in a weird way? Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. Uh, since golf has started taking up a lot more of my life, I've written off a lot of other sports like you just mentioned. I mean, I used to be huge football fan. I mean, I could tell you who every coach of every team was. I could tell you the top 30 NFL draft picks. I could tell you the starting five for pretty much every baseball team. And that stuff has just kind of started rolling away uh, kind of step by step the more, I've, the more time I spend with golf. Uh, my relationship with golf has changed a lot in recent years and that it is a full-time job for me, but weirdly enough, my appreciation for it grows and grows. Um, I could have, I could have easily got pretty burned out. If you just focus on pro golf, it can burn you out pretty quickly because it's kind of repetitive and there's just, once you gosh, get into it for three, four years, you kind of lose track of who won the Zurich classic like in 2017. <laughs> and just, did that matter? Like I don't, I remember caring about it at the time, but gosh, that really doesn't seem yeah. to matter. But that's the advantage golf has over other sports is people play it. Like if you, if you're a golf fan, you watch on TV, chances are you play it. And I just don't know how many people there are out there are, you know, avid basketball fans that travel to other places and experience different locations of basketball. Like you do golf. And that's just every location for golf is different. And that's just such an advantage that, that we have and golf has over other sports. So, uh, my appreciation for playing the game and the experiences I've had on golf courses, I, I, I still feel like we're just scratching the surface. You could spend literally your whole life traveling and going to all these places and not get even remotely close to experiencing all the golf has to offer. I gave our, our our listeners, our subscribers, kind of a Cliff Notes version of, of your story and you guys' story and everything. But is was golf maybe the perfect vehicle for everything you kind of wanted to do, too? Because I, I get there's similar structures in other sports, and there's obviously podcasts and YouTube series and all these things. But with golf, between the players kind of being their own PR spokesman in some way, between just the – like you said, it, it's it's a lifestyle in so many different ways and everything else. Was, was golf, is it a little easier to at least do some of the things that you would like to do in that medium? I think so, because for one, golf lags behind all other sports in terms of how it's covered, how, you know, how TV catches up to the viewer experience. And I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but we always say that everything's five years behind. Right? Mm -hmm. If we see something becoming popular in, in football, 
we got a few years to get it kind of figured out before golf, it gets there in golf. And one of the things is pod, like just there was no kind of counterculture in golf that had a real presence, right? I mean, there was kind of the sports blogosphere had started to really take off in a lot of sports, baseball, specific college football sites like you guys, and stuff like that. But golf didn't really have that. And we just kind of hit it at the right time. And there, there just wasn't that much competition. So we were going to one of the first few podcasts out there that was actually having pros on. And once we had a few kind of big-ish names on mm-hmm. early in the process, it made it a lot easier to keep booking people going forward. And I also just think, I mean, if we're being honest about golf's demographic, what it looks like, both from a gender and race and age perspective, like mm-hmm. you could kind of figure it out pretty quickly. And golfers are the easiest to relate to for athletes as far as athletes go, right? I mean, I can't relate that well to a 320-pound defensive tackle. Like, I just I don't know how much I really have in common. You know, but when I sit in a room with a six-foot guy that is 180 pounds and hits the ball 320 <laughs> yards, at least from like a physical and background standpoint, I can relate to you very well. We have a lot we can talk about, and that's kind of another advantage I think that golf has. And uh, and yeah, like you said, kind of a golf golfers in, in themselves want to promote them, themselves and want to be open, and they've not really had an avenue to do that. They kind of distrust. I don't want to say the media, but when they're up on the, on the stand in a press conference somebody's asking them a question and they've probably already decided what they're going to write. And they're trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. use what this, that person's saying into their story. It doesn't, it loses context and it loses kind of, you know, the inflection in their voice. If they tell a joke, it loses the laughter behind it. And they're just trying not to make a headline. Whereas if they come on a podcast, they can talk about something for an hour and it, it isn't necessarily going to make a headline because there's, you know, people can hear the full five minute story that they're telling and they can hear them laugh about it. They can hear the joke. And that's kind of, no, we didn't necessarily set out to do that, but that's how it ended up working out for us. And we're not we're not asking too many questions. You mentioned the relatability because that's what's so funny because you can play the same courses and for a one shot you could win. I mean, you know, like I've, I've I've contemplated some different videos, done some things with like Braden Thornberry, and there's a chance that we hit one ball on the green. I'm going to hit it closer. I'm going to do something different. There is there's just that different relatability to that in so many different ways where you feel like you're sort of a part of it if you're the if you're the listener, the viewer, or whatever, where you go, hey. I'm at least in their world, if you will, even though you're absolutely not. Right. For a one-hole stretch, sure. I can play a golf hole like yeah. a PGA Tour pro, right? <laughs> and I, listen, I can make a three-pointer. I can you know, make a reverse layup in basketball. But if I play LeBron one-on-one in, in basketball, like, I'm not going to hit the rim. Yeah. And I'm not going to stop him one time, right? Like it, it, It's going to be complete domination. Whereas... If I play 18 holes with Justin Thomas, I, I would bet that on one of the holes at least I will beat him. Yeah. Like I will out, you know, hit a better approach shot into a par three. And so golf is just this weird measure. And I, I, the more I've kind of gotten into competitive golf, the more I try to understand averages and where you gain shots and things like that. And it is this kind of just weird sport of missing in the right place and making sure your misses are okay. And yes, for a one hole stretch, for a three hole stretch, I mean, I've played 18 holes with guys that are in the top 100 in the world and I've beaten them. Like you can have your day where you can beat them. I've played 18 holes with 12 handicaps who have beaten me straight up. So it's crazy the spectrum that can happen in golf and how, you know, somebody that is clearly, clearly not better than someone can beat them on a certain day. You can have that miraculous day. It's kind of like poker in that regard. If I sat down at a poker table with Phil Helmuth every day, Mm -hmm. 
he would clean my clock, but like yeah. maybe maybe two days a month or something like that. I might beat him, or maybe it's more than that. I don't know what it is, but you can beat like you can in in short spurts of time be, be be better than the best players in the world somehow at this game. I don't I don't know how, but that's just how it works. You mentioned that you guys got into it at the right time as far as where where golf media was, where everything was. Do you feel like though, in some ways, maybe you caused this? I don't I, I don't know what your feeling on it is, but you know, if you waited even a year or two later, it would have caught up. Because I mean, look around; you've got a lot more competition now. I mean, the, the the area is a lot more crowded, but you've got your regulars, you've got your people. I mean, just like you do it, but we do at our level where they're relying on you for that normalcy in their life and in in their routine you kind of hit it perfect, right? Because you get in there and you're first, but then at the same time, there's almost kind of enough around you to make this a real niche and a real thing that people are seeking out now as, as 2020 has gotten here. Yeah, gosh. I mean, looking back at it, if we'd have done it a year earlier or even a year later, yeah. I don't know if things would have worked out as well for us as they did. I, I It wasn't like we saw this. We, 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 we did see a gap. We said, look, nobody on TV – talks about golf the way you and I sitting here talk about golf. And I don't know of a, I don't even know what the best golf podcast is out there. I was like, we should just start one. And it wasn't like, we're just the biggest golf fans in the world. We're big sports fans. At least at the time we were big sports fans. And it just seemed like everything, there was so much other stuff for other sports that we were like, you know what? There might be a little gap here in golf, but also we did it for a long time before anybody noticed, at least it felt like it for us. And then finally, once people started noticing, we were very thankful that we had kept the grind up and had this kind of back catalog. I mean, once once people saw it for the first time, you could at least go back and say, oh, like they, these guys have been working hard at it. There's a lot here for me to get through. And yeah, like the, the, the golf, the, the true podcast boom and uh, I guess worldwide hadn't really happened yet. We got in right before that. And we are one of, I guess, one of the first golf podcasts to have pros on it. So that boom. I get ignited us more than, you know, a middle of the road golf podcast from download numbers would have, but we just had such an advantage once that crazy boom hit. And, uh, we didn't even like, we did not necessarily think like, Hey, we're getting ahead of the curve here on podcast. Cause that's going to be the next big thing. We just kind of got lucky in that, on that, in that regard. What you get Justin Thomas on and Rory on that first time was, I, I know the numbers for those downloads were huge, but did it maintain immediately or did you see like some huge drop off and have to work back up? What was, what was sort of an analytical way that it progressed from that point? You know, I didn't even, if I think back on it, I thought the downloads for those episodes would be bigger. I, I, I thought it would be a bigger jump, you know, but really a, a lot of our episodes don't vary that greatly from episode to episode. We have a big core of people mm-hmm. that will listen to every single one. And yeah, I, I, it also doesn't help. The host we had back then would give us really bad information. So we didn't even know if, if we were working with a complete. Trust me. I get that time, more, than, more than, more than most you would tell that too. So I understand. Yeah. I mean, we, it was a complete guess to be honest. So maybe it was a, a lot bigger fair, but I remember thinking like, Oh, we're going to have blah, blah, blah downloads for the Rory one. And when I opened it, it was like one tenth of what we thought yeah. it was going to be, even though like a, it, it felt like a lot of people were listening to it. It just didn't have that crazy variability, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's just weird how it works. I feel like a podcast audience is really earned. You can't just kind of sneak out. Even if you have one great episode, it's not necessarily going to fall that far out of line with the rest of what you produce. I mean, that may be a little bit inside baseball, but it does. It just felt like we were building up a subscriber base more so than we were having like huge one-off hits. The Oxford Exxon podcast is also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust 
based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. When this is all over, everyone is going to want to get away. They're going to want to get out of town, get out of their homes. They're going to want to go on a vacation, and you want to book one that will create a lifetime of unique memories, and that's where John comes in. He's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows John to supply his clients with added values and unique benefits that are simply not available to other travelers. All you do is you give him a call, you give him an email, and uh, you give him some parameters, you give him a budget, and uh, he'll give you options. You don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services, and uh, he's great at what he does. He'll take great care of you, 901-494-3387, or send him an email at jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with a personal touch. OUB offers its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa. And with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also have a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest. As long as you keep $10,000 in the account, it comes to fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group. They're dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking and cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901-365-3447 or email ben, that's B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. Whitney sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes, 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. No, you're either in somebody's routine or you're not. You're, you're either the podcast that they listen right. to when, when you're at the gym or you're at lunch or whatever they're doing, their drive time. And in Mississippi, we don't have a lot of drive time per se, but we do have those other things where you're either that podcast or it's really hard to break into that for that person. So no, I, I get the, the routine there. And that's kind of where I was going to go was – 
with everything going on right now, you obviously don't have don't have, we don't have live golf at least for a little while. I'll probably ask you that in a little bit, but what is sort of your role or what do you feel like does the goal change on what you're trying to do during this period because my co-host and I were said you know we're just trying to bring some normalcy to people's life we're trying to still be routine and for there's all this stuff going on that's negative for an hour and 30 minutes a day let's try to give them what they've been getting in a way let's not deviate too much of that if there's something where we feel like we're really informed that's important but let's not just hit these topics, whatever. Let's really try to still kind of stay in rhythm a little bit. What's what's kind of been y'all's goal for that during this period? Yeah, luckily, so it's kind of worked out somewhat in our favor in that we are, we are really busy. And this time of year, we travel a lot. And it is so hard to sit down, do your grunt work, and also be on the road and do what you need to do and not waste time on the road so that you're also home with your families. It's just a really tough balance. I stress a lot about these months of the year. Whereas right now I'm home every single night and we have some time. We have some time to actually, you know, get on, get sit down and go through a bunch of ideas that we've had for a long time, but just keep getting bumped down the priority list. So our goal this time is just like try to entertain people. Like you said, uh, it, it just try to have people get away from whatever for some time and, and, and have our audience feel like we at least somewhat stepped up during this time to provide some extra content or just provide some kind of different entertainment uh, during their during their day. I mean, the podcast numbers, I don't know about what you guys are seeing, but I mean, it's down. People don't have a commute. Mm-hmm. Our download totals are, are definitely down, but there's also that huge burst right at the beginning. Like, I think the people that are listening are still listening. So like, we're going to keep doing it for them, even if the download totals aren't quite fully there. Uh, and we're going to keep pumping out our video content and just kind of experimenting. I mean, how often do we're, we may never get another chance like this again to just set, hit pause and truly experiment with some new ideas. So that's just kind of what we set out to do. And to be honest, I, I can go stir crazy just with, with everything that's going on. I've been getting out and playing a lot of golf. I, the golf courses are open here in Florida, mm-hmm. and I, I've been you know trying to get back in the competitive golf scene. So I, I get out three to four times a week right now in the afternoons usually after you know kind of grinding on work for a few hours in the morning. And that's been a really nice balance. I can do my work at, at any hour of the day really. And uh, getting out during the sunlight, it's about to get too hot here to play. It's going to be pretty soon where it's just not that fun to play. So taking advantage of the springtime, getting out and actually playing some golf has been uh, something I really actively try to carve out of my day, which I used to feel really guilty about, but I'm feeling less and less guilty as time goes on. So every bit of travel through now to when, have you guys just canceled, had to postpone? I mean, has it changed big plans as far as something you maybe had with Tour Sauce or different things on YouTube? I mean, how how has this sort of impacted what you kind of already had in the hopper? Oh my goodness. Uh, we had a whole event schedule planned for this year. It was going to be about eight to 10 different events, uh, with varying levels of our involvement in them, but you know, tournaments and stuff that we were going to be playing in different locations all across the country. Not all of those are wiped out, but all everything, at least through May is wiped out. Um, we were going to be going to do a tourist saw season in England in July, which we just can't count on happening. So we've canceled that. Um, we, gosh, there's uh, several tournaments we were scheduled to attend and kind of do a lot of content on site. Those are all out the window. Uh, a, a surprise event that still might happen this year uh, related to me was uh, that we haven't announced yet was a huge, huge, big deal for me that just went out the window uh, that might might have a chance of still happening. But uh, it's, it's wiped out a lot. It's hard to really play woe is me. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone's business has kind of gotten flipped upside down and where it's not going to break us. It's, it hurts. It definitely hurts, but it's not going to break us. And it's, it's kind of hard to uh, 
feel too sorry for yourselves because we have I, I'm of the belief we have like the greatest jobs in the world and we, we're going to get to keep doing this at the end of the day, which is great. But, um, and a lot of people have, you know, suffered much worse than we have, but yeah, the travel schedule, it hurts a lot. A lot of our business is based on travel. Um, like I said, there is some benefits to actually being home for a little while, but I'm getting a little anxious and a little bit ready to get back out on the road. Yeah. You've never been one to stay home for a long, long period of time. Have you like, this is, this is kind of the first time in a while, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I spent uh, three years living in Europe um, from 2014 to 2017, where I traveled almost every single weekend. And that kind of really opened up a lot of opened up my eyes to to travel and how much I enjoyed it. And ever since I moved back to the States, this job has kept me busy with travel. So I have definitely not stayed put uh, for this long in the last, at least the last six years. And who knows how long it may be longer, longer than that. But yeah, it, it used to be a new country every weekend when I lived in uh, pretty much when I lived in Europe. But and then this job once once the summer the the hot times hit down here and uh, the world kind of opens up the golf world opens up to a lot of different a lot of different locations. I try to get on the road and get out to see as many places as possible, and we all try to. So, so yeah, this is definitely a uh, a, uh, a change in the norm of the day to day life here. You talk about the gamble moving back home, starting no laying up as a full time gig. What did the fact that you did go to Europe and you took that kind of gamble as well and you you did that did that make it a little easier to do it the second time I mean once you sort of take some chances and experience those things I mean does it I I know it's tough and everybody goes wow you know you got to really give up this and and jump in with both feet but once you've done it once in some degree does it make it a little easier to do it again Without a doubt I mean yeah. my dad one of the biggest regrets of all of this or the, the downside of of the last six years of my life is how I, how often I need to admit how correct my dad was. And over the years, for so many years, he would tell me that um, like anything I want to do is possible. And I just kind of didn't believe that. I just didn't, you know, I thought like, you know, certain breaks only happen, you know, to certain people or you got to have, you know, everyone that has a dream job in sports, like gets a hookup through the so-and-so uncle and all this. And quitting my job and or I'm sorry like moving from I lived in Chicago for six years and I had an opportunity with my old job to go to Amsterdam but it, it required like getting like putting pause on my life right I missed a lot of friends weddings and bachelor parties and birthday parties and family gatherings and it, it wasn't an easy decision to kind of uproot your life and move abroad and doing that opened up my eyes to so many other things, right? I I feel like my life really actually began at age 27 when I started to just get out and see the world. And I just went to places I could have never imagined that I would ever be in for any reason and countries that I'd honestly never even heard of before I I moved and just found myself in so many situations and just kept pushing my boundaries and my limits on what I would do. Uh, Maybe went to a couple of places I probably shouldn't have gone to, but it was, it was extremely exhilarating. So when it came time, you know, to move back, to go back to my life in Chicago, back to that previous job, I kind of was like, you know what? I'm kind of ruined. I, I kind of just have this, having had these life experiences, I don't think I can go back to that old life. I think I just need to try something new and not be afraid of risk. I mean, risk, you know, people get fired, people lose their jobs, people lose their businesses. That, that, that happens. It doesn't define your life, though. Like def- actually going for things and reaching for them is what had defined like the last three years. I was like, why not just do it? I mean, I know I want to get into this full time and I think we'll eventually get to this job full time. So why not do it now? Why waste a year trying to figuring out if we want to, the, the business and everything's going to be better off if I go do it now. So I probably jumped in too early. 
had to move in with my parents for six months, and which is, that was about probably five months too many. But I had no regrets about it, obviously. I mean, it, it was, it would have, I would have regretted going back to the old job and not going for it, not making the attempt. We're still learning. We don't have all this, this whole thing perfected. But yeah, it definitely helped to have kind of already made a some more, what I viewed as a risky decision. Having done that, it was, it was kind of just so much easier to take on more risk. Uh, it's calculated risk. You got to think about it. You got to be smart about everything you do, but gosh, just going for it and, and, you know, truly doing something that you love. I know that, gosh, how many times do we all hear that growing up? Like do something you love. You'll never work a day in your life. And I kind of just rolled my eyes at all that. But after having done this for several years, I have a, I have a hard time going back. You mentioned that at the time, I mean, golf media wasn't getting one-on-ones with Justin Thomas or Rory or whomever there. What was sort of the early relationship with more traditional media from you guys, and how has that sort of evolved over the last uh, three, four, five years? Yeah, I, I feel like everything was met with resistance initially, right? I think if you took a you know a, a quick glimpse at to some of the things we do, you could get turned off pretty quickly. There's a lot of inside jokes. You know, some people say it's bro culture or all this. And, and you want to kind of blanket us and label us as like these millennials that are zany and doing weird stuff and don't take golf seriously and are chugging beers and wear their hats backwards and untuck their shirts. And that isn't the reality, but like that is what people like wanted to label us as. It's what we felt like for traditional golf media. That's what we were kind of viewed as i think but almost step by step like person by person i feel like the more people have dove in and taken it once people had to start like quoting us <laughs> quoting our podcast in their articles i think it became a lot more real to them and say hey you know what These guys aren't the worst thing in the world and they, they you know they tr- they work hard at making sure their their product is quality and you know they're not idiots they understand golf and actually they have a decent perspective on it so i think it you know I have a hard time believing if you, a lot of people still don't like us in golf media. And if you don't, it's probably either we directly pissed you off in some way. And I don't blame you for that, but it also just means you probably haven't spent that much time with it. I have a hard time believing if somebody really dedicated a, a decent and fair amount of time to it, that they could think we are awful at what we do. It might not be for you. It, it's not for everyone, but it's hard to, uh, I, I, I think, I think every, almost everyone's opinion of our work would somewhat evolve from their initial reaction to it. So I do think we definitely get treated differently uh, with a lot more respect in this day and age, at least, you know, it's not, you don't have to fawn all over us or, you know, act like we're the greatest thing ever, but people will, you know, look in the eye, shake your hand, say hello in the media center. And uh, I, do, I feel a lot more comfortable there definitely than I did say four years ago. You obviously have bits. I mean, everybody kind of has characteristics as far as the the, the, the the different people in your group there. But as you've got, got done so much more video and you've had your on camera more and your personalities and whatever, what's sort of the, the, the balance there of, hey, authenticity, this is our personalities versus, yeah, I mean, you're, you're obviously trying to entertain too and, and have some different bits and whatnot. What is, you know, probably not thought that goes into it, but what's that, what's that been like as that transition has gone to a little more video? Yeah, it's 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 odd for me, you know. Personally, I don't I don't love being on camera or being on video. I I just have felt uncomfortable on it kind of since day one. And other uh, Neil and Randy especially yeah. have have thrived being on camera, right? So I I kind of fo- I like to focus more on the podcast. And those guys have made a just uh, obviously incredible stuff with what they've done with Strapped and their their YouTube video series and stuff. It is it's it's. We call DJ Pi. He's the he's our video producer and editor. Like he's the keeper of the takes. So like he is going to edit our videos so that there's a story to it, right? And uh, it is it is kind of weird how people 
don't either don't get in on some of the bits or don't understand when we're joking or take us way too seriously or think that me and Tron are actually villains for kind of the bits that we play in video. And I either they're kind of being part of the bit and giving us giving us kind of some slack back at us. It's a weird world. It's it's, it's a hard thing to balance. And it's you know anything you do in content is like you're gonna entertain a group of people and it's gonna piss a pe- group of people off. And people will say, hey, you should do more of this or hey, we need less of this. No, we need more of this. And it's always this constant tug of trying to figure out what feedback to take in and what feedback to, you know, to, to kind of ignore. But yeah, the video, video developments have been our biggest growth product probably in the last three years. And it was something I had a hard time kind of visualizing how it would look. Cause I, I couldn't get over the hurdle that I, the belief I had that I was like, how could anyone want to watch us golf? Like, why would you want to watch us idiots play golf? And I had to get over that hurdle because it ended up being a thing. People actually enjoy watching random people play golf on YouTube and mm-hmm. they enjoy kind of perspective on golf courses and stuff like that. So trying to flex a, a variety of different muscles and telling interesting stories, showing interesting golf courses and providing, you know, interesting games or reasons to watch is a constant struggle. There's a, there's, there's an art to it that people probably wouldn't even, you know, think about when they watch it of how much discussion goes into what format we're going for, where we're going, why we're going, who we got to get on camera, all the things that go into making a video work. It's overwhelming. The amount of time that DJ spends editing these things. I've done a few of them and it, it just takes it in, it just encompasses your entire week. And uh, I like to leave the video projects to him. They always turn out better when he does it. And it's just, it, it I like the vid, the strap videos for me are the best because I'm not involved in it at all. And so I enjoy it so much more whenever I'm in it, I am critiquing it. And I feel uncomfortable, but I love just watching what those guys will leave on a trip, come back. And I have no idea what they have. So it's, it's as much of a surprise to me as it is a lot of the other people watching it. I don't want to get overly inside baseball, but when you, when you're on those trips, whether it be tour sauce or whatever, how many cameras are active? Are there other people with cameras as well? I mean, what, what does that setup look like? I mean, are you guys literally hitting shots and then filming each other? I mean, because I would think it'd be kind of a grind a little bit. It is a grind. So those, those trips are, they're fun, but they're not your, they're not like, like a golf trip. Mm-hmm. You know, they are a film trip. You are going to film and we do everything right. We've had some, we have a second video editor. His name's Matt Golden. who's kind of a consultant for us. He's come at times to kind of help film it, at, you know, at certain, uh, on, in California, he came out there and filmed for a couple of days, but the rest is all filmed by us. So it, you know, DJ does a lot of it. I do a good, I probably do like maybe the second most amount of it. And I fly the drone and Neil grabs an Osmo pocket thing and does all the B roll. And so it is just a, this shared duty, right? And we got to also keep pace while we're playing. So it is a, you know, you hit your shot, you, you film a guy's shot and you pass the camera off to the guy that just hit and you go get set up for your shot. He gets in position, films yours. And that is kind of, it is all just one big kind of shared duty, you know, and it, uh, it, it we get good feedback and we're able to keep pace for the most part, but it, it feels rushed at times. It's hard to focus on your golf. You don't necessarily not even come close to playing your best golf when you're in that scenario. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, you know why you're there. You're there to make a video. You're not there to necessarily play the golf course. You're there to make the video. And it can be tough to balance that at times because you want to have fun. You want to show that you're having fun on the video, but you know, you got, that's the, that's the main goal. And it, it's stressful and it's not easy, but, it's also making golf videos for a living. So if that's the most stressful thing we do, then I think we're doing okay. 
I know you probably didn't expect the maybe the success, the versatility, whatever you want to call it, as far as when you first started the the, the site and even when you first went full time with it. But you know, what what have you tried to do with the brand per se? And do you, do you feel like you've at least kind of kept to that, or has that even evolved over time on what you just sort of sort of wanted no laying up to be? You know, it helped a lot when we brought DJ in. So we started this whole thing really like beginning of 2014 and we brought DJ in summer of 2017. And at that time it was just mostly a Twitter account with a podcast that had started to really get a bunch of PGA tour players on and professional golfers on. We had no real business. We were selling a lot of merchandise, but like we had no advertisers. We had, we had nothing. And he kind of presented this to us before we kind of brought him in and hired him was, you need like an actual mission statement. You need to, you need a reason why you exist and it's going to help you make decisions in the future. Like you need to set out what you're trying to do. And basically our mission was to use our access to uh, inform and entertain our audience. So that's kind of what it comes down to. If it does both of those things, that's great. If it does one more than the other, that's great. You kind of flex between those two things. But if something is super self-serving does that entertain or inform the audience? Probably not. And that's probably something we shouldn't prioritize. But do I think that Taurus sauce and strapped educate and inform people? Yes, I do. So that's kind of the, the, the lens that we try to look at everything through. And that has helped us a lot just because I, I, I think that just helped us grow the brand and, and people have appreciated it more and more. The more we kind of set out actual goals and an actual mission statement, it became easier to see, uh, how, how to take an idea and turn it into actual something tangible, some tangible content, because otherwise the creative process is very, very, very tricky. And it, I see a lot of how like bands, I, I don't know how bands work. Honestly, I haven't seen this, how hard it would be to create art. And that sounds super self-serious, but in my mind, that just means there's never a right or wrong answer. There's no right or wrong answer as to whether a certain clip should be in a video, whether I should ask a certain question on a podcast, whether something I say or somebody else says on the podcast is right or wrong. It's all just very subjective. So in that regard, there's quite literally millions of different ways we could go, different directions we could go. And you need kind of one guiding light, some kind of guiding light to get you through to the finish line. That's what ours is. And that has helped a lot. And, I don't even remember what we were doing before we kind of sat down, had that mission, but we meet uh, every week at Monday morning. We have these long meetings where we talk strategy, we talk schedule, we talk plans and, you know, different opportunities that we have and all that. And we're actually probably much better organized than people would, would believe that we are just because we don't really let people behind the, behind the curtain too often on that side of it. I'm running athletes a pretty good bit, I and mean, it's what we do as well. And you know, I, I don't. I'm. It, it's a job at this point, so you're not necessarily starstruck. You're going, hey. I mean, you're not. You're not getting autographs or anything like that. What was? What's the last time that either we an interview or playing that you got nervous around a golfer or anything like that? I mean, when's when's when was the last time that you went, hey, I I really would like to not shank a ball here. <laughs> um. Gosh, nervous <laughs> in front of a player. I. I don't, I get, I get a little nervous before an interview with somebody I have not interviewed before only because, and if it's somebody I don't have a relationship with, because I just don't know what I'm going to get. And that uncertainty makes me a little nervous. I got, I did this like charity shootout thing on the 17th hole at TPC Sawgrass with, I don't know, 50 to a hundred people watching on the Island green. And that I got nervous for that. My arms felt like (laughs) jello before hitting that shot. But I, I, I wouldn't say I get nervous in front of a tour pro hitting a shot or something like that. 
probably a little nervous the first time I played with uh, the only time I played with JT. I just kind of felt like I, you know, he was kind of talking some shit, and I felt like I had a chance to show him that I was a decent player, and I wasn't. I hit a shank on the third hole or something like that, and he still kind of gives me crap about that one. So I really haven't played that much with top top players in the world, but. I, you know, I used to get a lot more nervous playing with pros than I do now. I play with a decent amount uh, at Tim McQuanta here and Jack's kind of the mini tour guys and Jim Furyk's a member out there. So we'll play golf every now and then. And I just don't really get nervous anymore. It became, I kind of went through the, the lens of that and said, you know what? Like these are opportunities. Like don't waste great fun opportunities by being nervous. Like use it as a chance to show off, like use this as a chance to show you're mentally tough and that, all this practice you've been doing is worth something. And, you know, just there's no point in being nervous. Use it as like, hey, watch this. And that has helped me deal with nerves so much better than I used to. I used to get so nervous on golf courses, nervous to hit shots in front of people, and, you know, nervous staying on the first tee if anybody's watching. And I, that truly doesn't happen to me anymore. You got you to trust yourself and just say like, hey, I'm supposed to be here. Like, let's do this. And it has helped a lot. Well, it's both. You're supposed to be here, but at the same time, you're not a PGA Tour player. I mean, so whatever. I mean, you're not supposed to win. You know what I mean? I mean, whatever. I mean, if you, right. if you shake it, you shake it. It's just an am. Like, well, well, you know, it's, it's going to be all right. So, no, I – I, I get that too, in a uh, in a lot of ways that uh that that, that makes sense. I, let me, I would say so I don't forget this. Uh, let's go here now. Do we believe that this schedule is going to hold? That they're going to have golf in, in June? And do you think that do you think the PGA Tour coming back is that a sign at all positively for other sports? Or with golf being a little different, is that not necessarily something that you think translates to other sports potentially returning as well? Yeah, uh, I don't know where I net out on this. I would be surprised if golf came back on time because I just think, one, they were one of the last sports to shut down. They were one of the first ones back. It was a pretty tough PR hit how the Players' Championship played out. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just kind of inside golf circles, but I thought that was a tough look that they really tried to shoehorn that in when everyone else was canceling. Golf does have an advantage and it's spread out over large acreage, but it's it's not even about everyone convening in one place and having a big crowd, right? I mean, people are going to have to fly in from all over the world, international flights, places where countries, you know, where the virus might be hitting harder right now, or I just, I, I, you have to test everyone on site every day. And there's a lot of people on site at golf tournaments, even if there's no fans, you know, there's media officials, there's, you know, caddies, there's, volunteers and i know you don't need as many volunteers but it's just going to be a massive ordeal to test every single day and gosh i i i have to believe they know that and hopefully are onto something that can make it happen but it's a bigger hurdle than i think a lot of people think it's not as simple as oh they're spread out in a lot of different places that can be socially distant yeah you can but at the same time you're you're responsible for some of the messaging related to this virus and there's a reason why everyone is doing what they're doing right now and quarantining and why we don't have sports. So the sports that come back, you better have everything buttoned up completely. And honestly, I have a lot of questions about the tour's capability to be that buttoned up. We've seen them mangle a lot of things over the last few years that we've done this. And I don't think from head to toe that they are the strongest, well, most organized sports organization. So them being the first ones back. Yes. I have a lot of questions about that. <laughs> Um, do you think it's possible that even when they come back, there's just certain players that go, nah, I'm good for a little while? I mean, do you think they're also going to fight that as far yeah. as getting fields set? 
I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, CT Pan was, he was out of the players championship before right. it, you know, even kicked back off. And, um, yeah, I, it would not surprise me at all, especially from players that are, you know, players that have gone home to different countries and stuff like that. If they don't want to, uh, get involved with all the international travel. I, 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 can you even do that? Can you even fly like internationally yet? I, I don't even know if you can get into the country. Yeah, so I was kind of wondering. I mean, I think there's going to be logistics for the guys that just don't live here anyway. That we've got, you got problems. So I don't, I, I, right? I, I don't know. Um, likelihood of the Ryder Cup. What do you think? Uh, I I cannot picture a Ryder Cup with no fans. Right. That's so, kind of the point. I think it's going to get delayed a year, um, similar to 9-11. The 9-11 happened a few weeks before the 2001 Ryder Cup. They moved it back a year. I think they'll do the same. I just don't know. Honestly, I, I don't know where you stand on things, especially with football, the football crowd and everything. I don't see how we have large gatherings of people anywhere in the world before there's a vaccine. And I don't, I've not read anything that makes me think that there's a vaccine coming anytime before at the earliest, like 12 months from now. So do I think it's like a, a good bet that we'll have a crowd at a Ryder Cup next year? I wouldn't say it's a good bet. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel that I think a lot of people are seeing. I think we'll be able to go to restaurants and kind of live a somewhat-ish normal life in the not-so-distant future. But huge gatherings, I do not see concerts or NFL football games or big college football gatherings happening in any way before there's a vaccine. I think the NFL can play without fans um, for some different economic reasons, the way their, their their financial structures are set. I do not think colleges can mm-hmm. for, for multiple reasons. I think, A, when you have an amateur play in the sport, you're going, okay, it's not safe enough for maybe the students to get back or it's not safe enough for everybody to watch, but it's safe enough for me to put these 180 kids out on the field and have them play for our entertainment. I think from an optics standpoint, that's that's awful. Plus, you know, we always look at things, especially here from an SEC angle or in a Big Ten angle, the smaller conferences, they don't have these big television contracts. If they don't have gates, they might as well not have the event because they are millions of dollars in the hole. It just doesn't work. Yeah, no, and that's that's just it's hard. I I, I want to be optimistic about yeah. it. I'm trying so hard not to be negative, but I don't see any evidence. And I think it's just kind of this weird elephant in the room that no one no one wants to talk about the fact that we, we could this might not happen and I just, uh, like I said, with everything being canceled, it's a huge hurdle to come back. Huge hurdle. And it's not, no, not one sport is going to be simple in, in any way, just because of all the logistics that come into, that go into these things. Quick couple of uh, quick things. Do you have two or three golf courses you have not played that are still kind of on your bucket list that you're trying to get to? Oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, Cypress point okay. in California yeah. Yeah, is yeah. probably my number one. I'm, I'm doing non Augusta division. I think that's <laughs> okay. a lot of people's list. Um, that one's way, way up. Have you gotten close yet at all? In, I mean, any? nope, nothing. Okay. I got nothing. No, uh, I try not. I, you never ask, never ask. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, do I think it'll happen one day? I sure hope so. I have, I have nothing that, uh, has happened yet, but, um, national golf links is way up there for me. Um, yeah, there's, there's a decent Mirfield in Scotland is one of the, is the top one in Scotland that I've never played. That's way, way up there for me, uh, as well. So, uh, the, the bucket list, it, it, you can't, you, I know people have played the top 100, but you, I actually don't think it's just possible for me to play all the places that I would like to play. 
is Mirfield kind of shocks me. You've been over there several times. Is it one just never quite worked out? You've just kind of picked some other things, different things. I mean, what's, what's sort of been the reasoning behind that one? Yeah, that's a tougher one. It you could they only allow guests on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I believe, and you can only play two balls per group. So oh. if you have a foursome, you are playing alternate shots. They just have a, it's a it's a different setup there than a lot of places in Scotland and Ireland and England for that matter. I mean, most of those places are extremely hospitable, but Muirfield is just a little trickier, and I just haven't been able to shoehorn that one all the way in. I did not. I had no idea about that whatsoever. Um, does oh it, yeah, it's it, yeah. it's it's not one that you can uh, email and be like, "Hey, I'm so and so, and we work in golf media. We have a podcast. Yeah, uh, can they we do not you know, come out to your golf course?" Almost anyone will say yes in those countries. It's amazing. They're so hospitable. Muirfield will probably not even. I never even tried, but they probably will not return the email. <laughs> As a, as a fellow podcaster, I'm just curious, have you ever lost an interview that was completely done? I, I know audio's messed up some to all of us, but have you actually lost a file, or what's been sort of your, your worst-case scenario as a podcaster? We did lose one interview um, with a pro, a friend of ours. We lost it completely, and thankfully he was in town another day, and he was like, oh, okay, let's go do it again. I won't say the name because I don't want people to go back and listen to it and be like, oh my God, you faked all those laughs or that whole conversation was rehearsed. We played it off really well. Um, I lost one with Shane Bacon that we did when I lived in Amsterdam. I forget what his audio just didn't even record. I've definitely lost that one. There's been a couple other scares. Um, The whole time I'm sitting there. So we got to interview Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson right before the match uh, in Vegas in the fall of 2018. And we got a huge curveball thrown at us at the last second. It was supposed to be Tiger was up, and then it was supposed to be Phil was up. And, you know, I had DJ with me, and he was going to kind of produce all the audio. Three minutes before we're supposed to go on, it's like, yeah, Phil's going to leave. Uh, so, like, we need to divide. You know, DJ can interview Phil. You interview Tiger. And I had to, like, hook up all the audio into my computer and get all that figured out in three minutes and be ready to go with Tiger Woods. And the whole time we're talking, I'm like, oh, my God, something's going to go wrong. Like, this is. I probably forgot to turn on the mics or I forgot this, this, and this. It ended up working out. But the whole time we're sitting there, I'm just like dripping sweat probably because I'm terrified that my actual chance to interview Tiger Woods is going to get screwed up because we weren't prepared for this uh, variable that was going to get thrown at us. But it ended up working. I've had a few snafus, but, you know, it's probably three or four true disasters out of 300-plus podcasts. So we'll take that uh, percentage-wise. Interviewing Tiger, especially a short interview like that, do you, have you written down questions? I mean, I know podcasts are typically pretty or, organic, but like, do you go back and listen and go, ah, hell, I wish I'd asked this or that? I mean, what's kind of going through your head as you prepare for that and as you're actually doing it? What went through my preparing was just like, hey, we gotta, you got to do some things here that are going to activate him. Get him going, otherwise he can give you short answers, right? We've seen Tiger interviews that are not the most interesting so some kind of funnier questions and questions he wouldn't expect to get asked. Um, and just things we always wanted to know about him. I mean, I, I, you could ask that guy a million different things. And if he's engaged, it's going to be interesting. So, you know, DJ said something to me right before we went to go do that interview. He just said, like, I, this is easy to say, but just don't be nervous because that's going to make him nervous. If you be confident in yourself and just talk to him like you would anyone else. And that honestly helped me so much. I was probably going to sound really nervous. I was going to stutter. And, you know, I just said, like, kind of what we were talking about earlier about getting nervous, hitting shots in front of pros or something like that. Use this as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity in your life. Don't let nerves detract from the experience. And that helped so much. I 
I, I listened back to it. I was nervous, but like I listened back, I'm like, you know what? I actually don't sound that nervous. I actually did okay. Kind of gave him some shit back and forth. <laughs> he laughed about it, and it was it was fun. It was really fun, and it didn't feel. I wasn't sitting there thinking like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm interviewing Tiger. It just felt like, you know what? I'm actually okay at this, and this is what I should be doing. So why would I be terrified or nervous to ask him things? So uh, I definitely I spell out questions. I have like a little Google Doc that I just of stuff that I know I want to get to. And then I have kind of a grab bag. Usually if things end up wrapping up rather quickly, but the key is you got to listen, you got to hear what they're saying and ask follow-up questions or else it just, if it becomes question and answer too tightly, mm. the guys can shut off pretty quickly. But uh, no, it was, uh, it was a list of things that were kind of like, all right, if it's going really well, you got to ask him about this. And a couple of those didn't make the final cut. Cause it was just like, I don't know how he's going to react to that. Kind of last thing I'll let you go. Um, you obviously are trying to perfect video, figure out the new things. I mean, is there, is there, you don't have to tell me what it is, just curious. Is there something else? I mean, is there a kind of a new thing on the horizon for you guys? I mean, you kind of know where your, maybe your, your next step or your next chapter is on how you're developing your brand and your site and everything, or is it more about just fine tuning the things that you currently have in the hopper? Yeah, it's fine tuning a lot of things and kind of working more. So we had a documentary that was set to come out this year about U.S. Open qualifying. One part of that was going to be me basically sitting in the lab, getting lessons and trying to qualify for the U.S. Open this year or document what it's like for like a scratch golfer to try to get in the U.S. Open. How many people he has to overcome, all this stuff. That's probably looking, that's not looking great for this year as we have no idea what U.S. Open qualifying is going to actually look like. Um, But more just kind of, it's more about getting through some of our ideas that we have and things that we really want to do. Nothing's going to really change greatly. Our website's being updated, should be updated uh, and published here very soon. And that's going to be, uh, get us more back focus on more writing stuff, which we've kind of faded away from uh, just because our functionality of our website has been so bad for many years, but uh, no, it's nothing, nothing too crazy, but just kind of taking some bigger swings on some big projects. Uh, That was going to be a big one and a fun one, especially for me, but it's, uh, I'm not sure what, what the status of that one is that uh, currently it might get pushed to next year. It might get canceled. We're not, we're not exactly sure, but no, nothing too crazy, but we've the quarantine time is we've thrown around a couple ideas. We got a new idea for a new video series that we're going to hopefully do at least the first iteration of here in the next couple of weeks. Okay, well, thank you. And I really appreciate the time today. Anytime. Thanks, Chase. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Seattle County and Chattanooga underwriting and processing is done in Memphis. So you're getting local underwriting and understand your market a leader in condo financing in Oxford, and the flow down option where you can lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford. Also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window. And G&M is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. VisitOxfordMS.com is the website. Click the very top so you have to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside 
with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between Tupper Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662-767-4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've been picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more. Text or call 662-681-6241. Thanks to Chris Solomon for joining us here on the show today. We'll also tell you we have uh, plenty more coming up as the week goes on. We'll have our our normal live show on Thursday night. We'll start that around 745, 8 o'clock as we've uh, been doing. we got some more unboxing. Saw where Neil um, got his first package. That was from Stacy Wall yesterday. The video is up on our YouTube site. It's up on rebelgrove.com as well. Some local ice cream sent to uh Sent to Neil for, uh, for that one, so you can find that video. And again, we'll, we'll do some more unboxing on Thursday as well. Also, with some local news, uh, most people know this, but just kind of passing it along a little bit. Um, the Oxford Board of Aldermen on Tuesday voted to open many local businesses starting on Wednesday. you got to wear a face mask inside the, uh, the establishments, but a lot of retail stores, offices, general businesses, and non-emergent medical services are now available to enter, although it's 30% of fire marshal capacity or I think five people per 1,000 uh, square feet there. Uh, so we, we, we've been asked this just for clarification standpoint. That doesn't go for salons, um, gyms. Those things are, are still closed per state order. Um, I think May 11th is the earliest that those things could open up. But locally, that is uh, that is one change that started this morning. And then on, on, a, on Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. in Oxford and 5 to 7 p.m., they will have uh, free face coverings available at Oxford High School. Those brought to you in part by uh, Visit Oxford, by the City of Oxford, and by Chick-fil-A. They're being made out of the Double Decker uh, t-shirts. Obviously, Double Decker postponed until August, so uh, they are giving those away. Those two times at Oxford High School, if you'd like to uh, take part, see those, and uh, and more. So we'll have more uh, more podcasts for you as the week goes on. Again, a little different today, but good stuff there from, uh, from Solly, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.